2: If you enjoy the Creative Control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol. That's patreo dot com slash creativecontrol with two Ks. You can pledge $1 a month or $4, $8, $30, $50, $100 a month, whatever you want. There are gifts and incentives to pledge. More than anything, you can keep this show going There's no other revenue stream for this podcast I've been doing it for my own Fulfillment and to contribute Something to the culture But I think it's time to see if I can Generate some kind of salary from all of this work So, if you appreciate Creative Control, again, please Consider pledging a monthly amount All of the info you need Is at patreon.com Slash creative control Thank you Creative control with Vishcom. In case you missed the last episode, I'm I'm not really supposed to be here today. It's my day off. But I, there's no rest. I wanted to give you some new episodes, so here's another one. It's a good one. Slim Twig returns to the show. Slim Twig, aka Max Turnbull. Max is on the show to talk about his new record. Thank you for sticking with Twig, which is out on DFA Records, and uh, we get into a whole bunch of other stuff about persona and perception, and I thought it was quite an interesting conversation. You're gonna hear new music from the uh, from the brand new Slim Twig record and other stuff too. So this is it. Myself and Slim Twig, once again, he was on the show before. It was good. This is this is better. This might even be better. Myself and Slim Twig. Enjoy. Control! This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas, or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzeratis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph, or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T R O K A D E R O G U E L P H.ca. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Twig is the moniker for a young man from Toronto named Max Turnbull, who is a noted actor and musician. Over the past 10 years or so, he has released a lot of challenging, artful pop music in projects like Tropics, Archaic Women, Plastic Factory, U.S. Girls, Darlene Shrug, and of course, Slim Twig. His most recent album is a challenging yet accessible blast of psych pop called Thanks for Sticking with Twig, which is available via DFA Records. And here now for a chat about it is Slim Twig. Uh, Hey, Max, how's it going?
1: I'm well. How are you doing?
2: I'm very well. Where where are you?
1: Well, I'm at Toronto. I'm uh, at my parents' place, um, which is very near to where I live, but um, has the benefit of having Internet, which uh, I don't have at my house except on my phone. So when I want to be, you know, doing emails and stuff like that, I just pop by here.
2: Now, why don't you have the Internet at your house? It's, it is expensive. Is that the? I assume that's the primary reason.
1: That's not the only reason. Um, I don't want to be up until, you know, 3.30 in the morning looking at YouTube, basically, when I'm at home with my wife. So <laughs> it's sort of been handy not to have to pay the monthly fee for it, and also I think it makes for a nicer home life. And, you know, everyone has Internet on their phone anyway, so it's not as if I'm missing out on, you know, getting in emails when they're sent or hearing about when Blue Jays have been traded or imp- important things like that, so.
2: Right, this is wormhole prevention, basically.
1: Basically, yes, yeah.
2: And did you find that you were addicted?
1: Um, I I think I have that capacity within me, for sure. <laughs> um, I definitely can, you know, spend hours reading about sports teams that I like or checking out YouTubes of music that I'm interested or, you know, things like that.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think
1: are valuable things to do, but it's good to kind of block out some time specifically for that, rather than feeling you know like you're being pulled into some kind of wormhole, as you say.
2: Yeah, it's the way uh, it's the way things work right now. I've done the same thing. I should be going to bed, but I just want to watch. Yeah, the Daily Show from the last night. So I go on the the, the web and I watch the Daily Show.
1: For sure, there's there's so many things that seem as if they're really important to get caught up with. That kind of evaporate when you don't have immediate access to them. So,
2: and you've been okay. Like you're okay with this. Everything's fine.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a permanent thing. Um, maybe as I get older, I'll develop, you know, better self-control with that stuff. <laughs> so, but right now, it keeps me more productive and it keeps me reading, you know, words on actual pages more than screens. So, right, it seems positive for the time mm-hmm. being.
2: Right now, I know you're at your parents' house. So, uh, the the first question that I wanted to ask you, uh, I don't know how well you can answer it. Uh, what I have written down here is, do you like drugs?
1: Do I like drugs? Well, you actually um, repeated
2: the question so your parents could hear
1: it. Right. I did. It's true. I guess I'm not ashamed. <laughs> um, actually, you know, my, I think my reputation sort of has started to precede me with that question a little bit in the last year, you know, probably since I dropped the song Cannabis and have made mention about you know wanting to make music that sort of emulates the tactile quality that we can experience music in while stoned, um, and wanting to kind of emulate that for people without them having to uh, imbibe anything. So I can I can see that that is sort of creeping into my sort of public image a little bit, but it's actually not um, something that's very central to me. I, my my experience with drugs is is very limited to um, you know. Pursuing smoking weed uh, and that has been something that has been an aid, I think, as far as hearing music and perceiving it differently and picking up on different things um, <clears throat> so I guess I would be lying if I said i didn 't like smoking weed and and think that it should be legalized and all, all that stuff, but i 'm by no means you know some kind of druggie and and by no means someone who wants to be um, you know, waving a pot leaf flag, basically.
2: Well, yeah. So what happened was on April on, on four twenty on April twentieth. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you released this single cannabis, and I uh, I think some people received. I was among them. Mm-hmm. A forty five single uh, of the uh, of the single. Like I received it in the mail from your from your label. I, I, I presume, and it was, which was very kind. Yeah. But the 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 label of the forty five is just you know these pot leaves. It seemed very pointed. I mean, why would you send out a song? I, I, I think you spoke to this. You just wanted to try to capture the feeling. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how would people not pigeonhole you a little bit if you are sending out this yeah. pot single?
1: Well, you're, you're suggesting that my single was wrapped in a poly flag, are you?
2: Well, I mean, was it not? <laughs> Wasn't the label kind of? Yeah, kind of it had a it bunch pretty of pretty much is. I mean, yeah, pot iconography, yeah.
1: I, I'm. I mean, I'm definitely open to to talking about it. Um, as long as it doesn't, you know, uh, decrease my ability to cross borders and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, You know, it, there was a cheeky quality to, to doing that for sure. And for starters, I should clarify that the song Cannabis is actually a cover. Um, That's
2: right. That's the other side of this, yeah.
1: Yeah, of, of a Serge Gainsbourg song. Of course, you know, my affection for Serge Gainsbourg mm-hmm. is well documented with, you know, the last album that I released on DFA before this was you know, had connections to some of his work as well and was, you know...
2: We talked about him quite extensively the last time you were on the show as well. Yeah, that's right. For
1: sure. So, you know, when I was making the record and realizing that a theme of the album was, um, you know, the, the sort of aided perception that weed can provide when listening to music or experiencing, like, films and imagery and just sort of that sort of transition of perspective that allows you to see things in a different light that was sort of coming to me as a as a theme of the album. You know, the the, the the surge song cannabis seemed to be very appropriate. It's one of my favorite um instrumental arrangements of his and and you know, I really wanted to sort of have my hand at coming up with a you know, a modernized or original arrangement of it, um and it tying in with the themes with it with its title and everything like that and it just seemed like kind of a funny cheeky way to get people, you know, on board with hearing some of the new material. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not shying away from that association at all, but I, it's it's not how I identify, I don't put my music in the box of, like, stoner rock or something, you know, very uh, pigeonholed like that.
2: Right. You know, you've touched upon a few things there about perception and uh, and even your own sort of wariness of being pigeonholed in any way. I feel like the last time we spoke we got into this as well because at one point uh, people viewed you as this gothic rockabilly dude and Mm -hmm. now you're you're presenting yourself in this other way and also suddenly uh, I'm hearing the beeping from you going in reverse a little bit. I feel like you are very self-conscious about how you're perceived but at the same time you're I think self-conscious about the way you are, maybe. <laughs> I mean, right? you're, you're presenting yourself in ways. We're not... I don't think people external to you are foisting these things upon you. It seems to be part of you, but you seem wary of being known as just any one thing.
1: Well, for sure. And you can maybe appreciate why in, in the fact that, um, you know, when I f- first was sort of getting my music out there, people were taking what I was putting out there and then that those sort of associations like the rockabilly stuff or whatever which, you know, came about as a result of me again trying to be cheeky. Oh, what kind of music do you make? Well, uh it's concrete rockabilly, you know? Yeah. Which was the idea of like I'm interested in suicide and like the iconography of like Elvis a little bit and stuff like that. But I'm also interested in Wu Tang clan and like sound based, you know, black dice kind of collage experimentation, how can I combine those worlds? Okay, it's concrete rockabilly, and from that moment on, it was almost like I was a roots rocker, because of the way I was covered, you know, was yeah. was picking up on that one cue. So, what I've kind of realized about myself and my approach is that I'm sort of like an anti-fundamentalist. I'm not any one thing fundamentally, and in fact, I can be convinced of pretty much any position, you know, with enough, um, with a good enough argument, essentially. And, um my process is is one that is constantly evolving so I'm very wary of saying yes this is me definitely and forever because people like in the media definitely pick up on that and they hammer those kind of cues to death um Mm -hmm. and I find that it just puts your music in a box really and it's uh, it instead of attracting people that might be interested in hearing it it actually serves the opposite purpose because writers think that they know you so well, they can just, you know, make an X, Y, and Z equation for what you do. And that, um, you know, might scare people off who, who may be interested in an approach that's more sort of uh, evolution-based and is constantly in flux. And I can appreciate that that's not for everyone. And I don't think every artist is that way. I think that there are some artists who have very specific um, reference points or sensibilities or ideas that they spend their whole career sort of refining. Um, but that I'm the opposite of that. So I, I'm always hedging my bets a little bit because, you know, right now I'm <clears throat> being associated, for, you know, with the, the long hair as I once was associated with the pompadour and, like, the the weed imagery and the guitar stuff. But I know that that's not forever. That's for right now. And um, yeah, yeah. I think the, the interesting thing is going to be drawing a line through all those things that I've done, even though the signifiers have completely shifted over time. And I think that... You know, very slowly, I've been accumulating like fans of my music, who are able to sort of consider it in more of a um, left brain uh, and maybe more of a generous context, where they can see those connections that I'm that I'm drawing, even if they are a little bit um, opaque at times. But I think that uh, I'm just interested in artists like that more so. So I, you know, model myself on an approach that is um, open to transformation.
2: I think that some of what you're referring to in terms of how you're covered by the media is a reference to print media. And it's by necessity there's always been uh, this attempt to distill Things Mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of brevity. I mean, there's only so much room that there, in terms of print, there's only so much room to get and convey things. So, writers, I don't think it's out of. For a long time, it's been perceived as laziness, but I think it's just like I only have 180 words to talk about this person. Yeah, what am I going to put forth in that? And inevitably, you're not going to get even a. You might get a a little glimpse at, at them, but you might not get the whole thing. And then, for sure. But I think we're you. You are referencing. I mean, we're in an age where, with the internet, um, there's those print confines aren't as rigid, and, and, and instead you can actually have people who can really go expansively uh, into yeah. an artist. So I don't know if you've noticed a shift that way. I mean, sure, the soundbite culture that you've been affected by, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is sort of melting as people get into more long form. Uh, discussion and and, and, and consumption uh, have you noticed any shift that way or in yeah, your, your I mean own I, can, I
1: can meet you halfway on that. Um, I think it is true that a lot of times there only is so much space, particularly in the print media, but even so that 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 often translates less into having you know uh, compressing information and and more so it appears as um, making formulations that define bands by their influences, Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: which I I just find to be... um, I I don't want to say lazy, I just think it's sort of the common practice, you know. Journalism for music has um, turned into, like, trying to be a sleuth, basically, and, like, catching bands out on on where they're picking up ideas from. And I will definitely concede that... uh, I think that that style of writing um, takes its cue from music that is being produced, and I think that you know there's a lot of music that is very consciously trying to do that, is trying to sound exactly like this one record from 1977 by this one band. You know, there's so many. Like one of my biggest pet peeves is bands that are contemporary that say that oh we're a post-punk band, we're a krautrock band, we're you know
3: yeah.
1: a rockabilly band, we're like um. 1977 style Australian punk band or whatever. (laughs) I find it to be a kind of ludicrous notion. Um, And I wish that more musicians would um, accept the fact that we are living in a time where access to the history of music is unprecedentedly easy to obtain. Um, And so, by that nature, I think people are... uh, more easily susceptible to, to those kinds of influences. Um, but I, I, I think that there's still original things that can be done within that context. you know there's such a long history of, of art making and music making where, in fact, I think the entire history of music making, w- w- which is some form of resampling and recontextualizing and cutting up and <clears throat> gluing onto to other ideas or you know this kind of thing, so I think that there's a lot more room for that than um, a lot of musicians are presently uh, making use of. Um, and I think that when, when more people start sort of waking up to that and waking up to the idea that you can be referential, but that doesn't mean that you can't also um, have your own voice within that, that context and that you, you don't have to treat your influences so slavishly and as if they're museum pieces that can't be um, <clears throat> disrupted. I think that we'll probably see some more interesting writing cropping up as a result of that. Um, and right now, I think it's just those kinds of artists are a little bit marginalized. But I think that that's becoming less so, and I think that you're right, that the Internet is, um, while it does present a lot of challenges, it also is opening up conversations that are, that are interesting. And um, yeah, I think, I think that there, there are positive things that can be... Be, be drawn from
2: that. I think there is there is some laziness in the kind of you know, what does your band sound like? Well, it sounds like this, or hey everyone, if you like such and such you might like this. I yeah. think that there can be laziness in that, but I also think that in some cases it's just trying to speak to a general audience. Like, you know, an audience that might not know, let's say Darlene Shrug, one of yeah. your other bands. Someone might say, and fully without ill intent, you know it sounds like this. And unfortunately, that follows you around. I don't know. Maybe you're getting at the fact that we seem to kowtow to the non-music fan too much. I don't know. I
1: I think you can make the argument, but I also think that that more general audience that you're speaking of, they also have a facility for uh, or a common language of emotions and, Mm -hmm. and of vibes and of ideas, as well as a common language of like, you know, the classic rock textbook or whatever. So I think that you can still reach those people, even in small sound bites, by talking about the feelings that that music evokes in you rather than, you know, what kind of guitars and what kind of amps they like to use that have in common with whatever, you know, garage rock legend or or something like that. Right. Um, So I just wish that the discourse was a little bit shifted to represent that, that even bands that are referential, they're trying to evoke um, a particular energy and i think that that could be discussed in a, in a way that is very accessible as well. Yeah,
2: i mean we're we're getting into this is a whole other conversation about i think our collective obsession with the past, our collective yeah. sort of sense of memory, just this idea of like remember that like we're all just constantly trying to document everything so that we remember it. Yeah. And and then in a in a sense we like to talk about those memories as you know touchstones in our lives, but sure. it does become complicated as i say a longer conversation yeah. i i think uh <laughs> this is interesting but I, I i want to talk to you more about your record okay sure. um the, the record is called thanks for sticking with twig there's obviously oh, thank you oh sorry thank you i i, I, I read it but thank you I, thank That's you right. did i say it wrong in the uh in the thing i think my i wait a second i think the promo i said I have. I'm just going to look at my phone because I don't want to seem like a chump here.
1: No, not at all. It, it, it's, I have seen it online as thanks for sticking with Twig.
2: I think that's what the promo I got said. That's why I wrote it down. Hang on a second. Let me just make sure. I just want to see who's right. Sure. I, think, I believe that you are right. I, I believe that. I got thanks for sticking with Twig. That's what they sent me.
1: No, I, I can totally believe that I, I wouldn't assume that to be a chumpy mistake I just want, <laughs> want to clarify you know? Okay, thank so
2: it's you. actually thank you for It's sticking more with personal it. it's than more, thanks. That's right, yeah. it's more personal So uh, what I was going to say is there's obvious gratitude within your album title what, mm-hmm. what prompted that? What prompted you to convey that?
1: Well, first of all, the album title is a pun So that's always a positive in my book um, Second of all You know, this record for me was the first record after a certain era i feel like a had at the hem sort of closed out uh, an era for me of working you know primarily in a localized sense you know on a canadian label playing my shows primarily in toronto or, or canada and stuff like that um and i feel like that album kind of was the the thing that kind of um <clears throat> transformed that that dynamic for me and uh has allowed me to kind of think on on um, a different level with music. So this was sort of the first new record um for me in a sense. Um and so I wanted to you know thank the those so that scrappy sort of handful of people that maybe have stuck with me uh from like the the very first stuff when I was making concrete rockabilly mixtapes and putting them up for free on the internet and, and this kind of thing. So and I also thought it would just be sort of a cheeky thing to direct my, my, um, sort of some, some thanks in the album title specifically to like a handful of people that is probably like 25 people, let's be honest here. <laughs> I thought it would be kind of just a funny thing to do. I like the conversational aspect of the title. Um, I, I like this idea of uh, you know pretending I'm more of a star than I am. Um, I think that's a facet of my personality, that's something that is ripe for a little bit of, uh, you know, making fun of myself a little bit. Yeah. I think that with this album, I have sort of been trying to expand my approach in in a number of different directions, and one of them has been to try and incorporate a little more humor and and to take the piss out of myself a little bit. A lot of my work has been so self-serious up to this point, you know, like a concept album, like based on a Vladimir Nabokov novel, you know this kind of thing I thought it was time for a little bit of levity um, mm-hmm. not to suggest that the music itself is uh, entirely comical uh, I think there's elements of humor in it but you know that was all kind of wrapped up in in the title
2: does the does the title feed into the intention of any of the songs specifically Hmm. I mean, I know you, like, in the song Live In, Live On Your Era, you kind of yeah. sing about yourself in, in, like, a third person way, Yeah, and I think, I'm not sure if that happens elsewhere. You just sort of reference Slim Twig as a moniker. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: I, you know, a lot of the songs have to do with my, well, yeah, they're all to do with my own personal experience or my ideas on certain things, so it, it is definitely a personal record, even if the, only the one song is from that, um, sort of explicit perspective. Um well I'm
2: just curious if that that idea of expressing gratitude is conveyed within the songs itself or is it just a a wink and a nod in the title
1: that's a good question Um, I I do genuinely feel a sense of gratitude to anyone who has continued to pay attention to my music and to remain in the conversation with me because I know that it's not easy um you know i was saying before i i see myself as the anti fundamentalist and um you know i think that there's a, an amount of whiplash that comes with following my music because basically from one album to the next um there isn't much resemblance that many um or kind of coherence or like uh stability really yeah and i think that's something that i admire in, in other artists when it crops up and i think is interesting but i I can totally appreciate that it's harder to follow um, for sort of a, a casual listener. Um, like, what is this guy doing? What's he getting at? What is he trying to refine? What is his message? All of those are, remain very ambiguous. So I, am, I do genuinely feel gratitude for anyone who's sort of...
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
1: at the same time it is cheeky because I feel as if there are so few of those people so is it I, I guess that's kind of the definition of t- of tongue-in-cheek you know there yeah. is a certain amount of genuineness in it and also like an ironic um, element that undercuts it a little, a little bit so that's just totally in keeping with how I like to keep things off balance I guess
2: yeah if there is consistency within all of your work and I know you mentioned that on some level there really isn't but I I do think at the end of the day you are a a pop songwriter but you tend to present your hooks, your melodies in these distorted, somewhat challenging sounding songs and Mm -hmm. I mean they've taken various shapes and forms as you mentioned and and that's true anyone can look at the records and and see that But, but you kind of work as a pop tunesmith type dude but kind of incognito, do you think that's fair? Yeah, for, sure. for and, sure. And why why are you kind of in disguise? Why <laughs> why do you why do you why do you choose to to kind of submerge the hook mm-hmm. uh of the, the the possible infectiousness of your songs? I mean, I think it's still there. Yeah. But it requires um I, I think a bit more delving if if it was Yeah. Uh, anyway, can you speak to that?
1: Um ah man, it's it's difficult. I you know when I was making out at the hem, I was like, man, this is it. Totally catchy pop record. This is like, man, who's not going to be into this? This is going to throw me on top of the charts, you know. <laughs> and I think I always have that delusion when I'm making my records. Like each new record that I make, I think is the most accessible thing I've done so far. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm just suffering from a bit of a delusion. I'm certainly not trying to make things more complicated than they need be. Um, that's just my voice. Uh, it's full of digression and uncertainty and um, a sort of searching quality. Um,
2: When you demo these songs, if you demo these songs, uh, presumably maybe on your own, Mm -hmm. and they kind of come... I don't know. Do you demo these songs in any kind of dry format before all of this stuff kind of comes through uh, on the records? Do you know what I mean? I've
1: started to do that a lot more, and on on the new record I did that for a lot of the songs, for sure. But I think that's, that is that is a good question because I think that is part of it. A lot of the the material that I've released and Hound at the Hem um, being one of them, it, the songs were created as I was recording them. So the parts didn't really exist until you know, I decided that it was the day to record the piano for this song or whatever. Um, so I think that that maybe contributes to it. A lot of it is done on the fly. And you know, when I was first coming up, like I used to... They have a very pretentious term for what I was trying to do, which was song sculpting, you know, instead of songwriting, because it wasn't like I was sitting down with an acoustic guitar out in the woods like Neil Young. You know, this is, this is the chord progression for the verse. This is the chord progression for the chorus. It right. was very much more on the fly and more intuitive. Not to say that that process can't be intuitive either, but um, it, far from being sort of a perfectionist and nailing down these hooks or something, it was just sort of a... Take me where the recordings want to go. Um,
2: yeah, and that, and I'm not I, I think that uh, regardless of what you do, there's an enigmatic quality, it seems. I mean, you're drawn to this idea of of making things that are clearly melodic, but but kind of offsetting that access on some level, um, you know that the, the, their accessibility is sort of shrouded in something, mm-hmm. uh, whether whatever tone, you are currently fixated on, I think. I mean, as as we've discussed, the records shift and change. Yeah. But fundamentally, it's you. I mean, I think that you have developed, despite the fact that you're anti-fundamentalist, I think you have some idiosyncrasies that come through uh, for people following your trajectory. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. I guess I'm pushing for a Slim Twig Unplugged album.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think I'm, I'm getting closer and closer to that being a reality. Um, I am actually feeling drawn more to the idea of that kind of um, singer-songwriter with his acoustic guitar banging out the structure and getting the arrangements just so and getting the studio musicians in in the studio. I'm definitely with each passing album moving more and more into that direction. Hmm. So I'm hoping that my music can retain those sort of idiosyncrasies and um A quality that isn 't obvious for people that is more on the tip of the tongue than it is knowing exactly where my influences are coming from that mm-hmm. is a little bit more original, if I can say that, but is more accessible and um, can be appreciated in sort of a traditional sort of song like structure you know I would like to be in a place like a a Lou Reed or a David Bowie or a Becker, or a Nick Cave or something like that, you know.
2: See, um, you're doing it again. You've got to be careful. You can't cite the people that you want to be like and then when we in the media true. say, you know, he kind of seems like this, this seems to be where he's at. You can't be like, hey, no, 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 guys, settle down.
1: Don't well, say that. With the exception <laughs> of, of Bowie, none of those guys are explicit influences on me. I'm just more trying to say like, Listen, this is the kind of song person I want to be. Someone who is making stuff that is uncompromising and is coming from an original voice that has things to say
2: and is like, dynamic, right? Like that... recognized yeah.
1: within like the traditional structure of songwriting and storytelling and not just some weirdo on the fringe. Sure. So I'm less trying to say like, you know, listen to these guys records and you'll really see where I'm coming from. I literally there's nothing in common between my music right now and what Nick Cave does. Nothing.
2: Except except that you cite shapeshifters. Shape you are intrigued by people yes. who can put forth a dynamic catalog of music and still, you know, I think retain a fan base, uh, take people on that journey with them. You know, there's pe- sure. people reject stuff like that. Too. Oh, the new Bowie's is all techno, whatever. I mean, I'm sure that happened. Yeah. then the people reevaluate I don't know I think I know where you're coming from and and
1: I I totally uh, but I agree with you I think that that's a it's a good impulse that you have to say what are you doing you're you know contradicting what you're saying and I agree that I that a problem that I have is trying to express the vision in a way where it's like I'm just talking a mile a minute and really trying to, like, communicate all the references and get everyone on board with this. And I think that that's not necessarily an approach that serves what I'm after exactly. Yeah. And a little bit more mystery might help. But, you know, at, at, at my core, I really want to be liked and I really want my music to be appreciated. And um, I think that comes out almost as a weakness at times. Um, well, it sounds
2: like you you're doing jobs that shouldn't be part of your job i, I mean just uh, anytime anyone gets into some kind of control of a message mm-hmm. about themselves i mean that's the no-win proposition there's not really no one really maybe donald trump can do it i don't know if okay. anyone can really do that and and be yeah. satisfied and sleep well knowing you know you put you yeah anyway this gets into a whole other nod of like mm-hmm. how much do you really divulge in an interview um, yeah, or a conversation sure. about your work i mean shouldn't the work Stand for itself. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. Anyway, and the, the ultimate—not cr- to like go into this whole knot of knotted argument, as you're suggesting—but the end game is like, why do an interview ever?
3: Then, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: exactly. I know, and that would put me out of. I'm not really in business per se, but you know what I mean. It yeah, would, yeah. For sure. I think that uh, articulating your thoughts about. I mean, we've, I haven't. We've talked about a whole whack of things here, so I don't know that we have really, you know, uh, done too much work on over explaining the record it's more Mm -hmm. of where you're coming anyway i think that there's value in these things too it just i think that once you let go of the fact that and i think a lot of artists are good at letting go of the fact that external perceptions or external interpretations shouldn't really color what they're doing um yeah and i think that you are in any time we've spoken you're very Mm self-aware but i think at some level i can also hear you letting go of it a little bit
1: I'm trying, yeah. yeah. It's it's not a position that comes naturally to me. I really want people to, like, get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I should, it would be positive for me to let go of that inclination a little bit and to worry more about the next direction and less how, you know, the present one is being parsed.
2: Right. So. Absolutely, that's right. I have one more album question. Um, right. There's a recurring interpola- inter- interpola- interpolation. What? Mm-hmm. Yes, a recurring interpolation on the record falls within "You Got Me Going" and mm-hmm. "Out of My Mind." What, what? What is up with that?
1: Well, there's a song by a group called the Chilites. Uh, it's called "Stoned Out of My Mind," and <laughs> it's a love song. Um, you know, where the uh, singer of the song just says, "You've got me going stoned out of my mind." Um, I just love the song, basically, and wanted to have a piece that could drift through the album and be, you know, provide a little bit of cohesion between the two sides, because I think that the record itself contains a lot of different uh, styles of music and atmospheres. Yeah. So something that could kind of hold the two sides together for those people who are listening. On the preferred format... um,
2: What is the vintage of that band?
1: They are like a soul band from the 70s. They may have started in, in the later 60s too,
2: right? But they hit their stride. This is this song uh, from the 70s. Yep. Right.
1: And it was a hit for them. They're like a they're a soul group. And they're
2: they're fantastic. Now I don't want to delve too far into this, given all that we've discussed in terms of pointing people to anything. But I think some people will hear this record and get this 70s sense. Um, can you? do you want to bother speaking to that? I mean, is this era in particular significant for you?
1: Um, yeah, for sure it is. A lot of my favorite music came out of that era, and um, it's been very fertile ground for me as far as um, picking up ideas that I like and, and inspirations, for sure. Um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Everyone has their... Touchstones. Um, mine just happened to be constantly shifting, mm-hmm. and the 70s was definitely a huge one for this record. Um,
2: you seem to be, I mean, again, to oversimplify this, but you seem to be cycling through... If we actually look at the, the way people have interpreted your music, mm-hmm. you seem to be going decade by decade right now. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, you came out and you were the 50s kind of, you know, yeah. whatever guy, and I think there was probably some 70s stuff there. And now, yeah, we're we're sort of entering this. I mean, with this, I want to ask a little bit about this amazing band you're in, Darley and Shrug. Yeah. Um, it does seem like, yeah, there's that, that, even the way you're, again, not trying to paint you in a corner, but the mm-hmm. way you've been kind of aesthetically, like the way you've been dressing a little bit and the way that mm-hmm. you've, the, the guitar rock that you've been making in Darley and Shrug, mm-hmm. very, very uh, evocative of of. Of parts of aspects of the nineteen seventies
1: yeah I mean I think the 70s and you know the 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 sixties you can definitely include in there too was a time when I think rock music was holding a lot of cultural capital and because I'm trying to be a rock and roller in the 21st century of course I'm gonna be looking to that era when people were reading a lot of substance into records that were coming out in in a rock capacity and I, I, uh, I wish that that would sort of return, and I think it won't return until people start putting substance into their rock songs again. And Megan and I have like sort of talked a lot about that over the, the past year, um, about trying to make songs that are substantial. You know, um, I've, I've talked about this new record being a protest album of sorts, and I think like a lot of the songs touch on issues more obliquely than maybe like an early Bob Dylan protest song would mm. of course mm-hmm. but um it's you know there's a lot of i'm trying to address a lot of inequalities some of them personal and ego based and some of them broader and uh, more universal than that um so i think that's why i feel a lot of affinity for guitar music of that era for oh. one thing um and also you know Everyone has to pick their, their their influences and it's a matter of what you do after that. And I think that this record in particular, um, the the Twig record, I think that it transcends that that influence and I think that if if you really spend time with it, pay attention to all facets of it, the you know, the production of it, the um the lyrics of it, there's a lot more meat on the bone than just a sort of tribute to the seventies. Like there's there's only two songs with live drums on the record, the rest is like programmed stuff. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. You know, that may sound like some kind of superficial difference. um, But I think that mixed with the combination of how many different styles and vibes there are and just a sort of sense of production that is very era ambiguous. um,
2: Yeah, totally, yeah. It's,
1: you know, a fusion of digital and analog stuff. So I think that there's a case to be made that sure, it has influences that are, are present um, a lot of them sort of classic influences, perhaps, um, but that it, that it transforms those. And I'm, I'm hoping that people pick up on that and don't see me as sort of a, a retro rocker or a revisionist or, or something like that. I'm trying to speak to modern people about contemporary issues with, with this record. So I hope, I hope that, that that comes through.
2: Okay. No, I, I think it does. And I, I think you explained that rather well. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what's going on with Darlene Trug? This yes. is a band that I, I've only seen the one time. It mm-hmm. uh, Was at a Long Winter yeah. in February, maybe, I think it was? Yeah. And I was just blown away. I think I went on Instagram. and was like, this is a, a best new Toronto band alert. That's yeah. I said something stupid like that, but yeah. I meant it. I really uh, oh, loved it, you. and yeah. I, I wonder what's going on with that uh, project.
1: Uh, it's, it's very active. You know, We're recording our, our record right now. Um, we were in a very fancy studio for a couple of days this month with uh young gov from talked up
2: ben cook um, yeah yeah yeah
1: help helping us out there um yeah i don't know that that band like initially you know started to sort of take on the work that tropics was doing um the band that i was in with simone tb for 10 years and i just felt totally exhausted and burnt out from trying to make Massive sounding rock music with just two people. Um, but I still, you know, Simone and I still had a very uh important relationship and, and wanted to um, continue to play music together. So that was sort of like the impetus behind starting it. And it was like, who do we want to play with? Uh, we want to play with Amanda, Carlin, and Meg. Those are the people that we want to make music with.
3: So no.
1: um, once we got in a room, like it just turned into something else completely. And it turned into like a really legitimate band with its... Own energy and just everyone feeding off of each other and a chemistry developed that was completely unforeseen and kind of blindsided. You know, certainly Simone and I, I think everyone in the band. And uh, it's been a really incredible experience being in that band. It's totally... You know, I, I thought of, like, the Twig record in some sense as being the solo album from the dude who's in that band. See, it
2: does kind of come across that way when I've heard the new Twig. I was just like, oh, like, this is just a zone you're in.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean... It's I can't understate the uh, the influence of being in that band um, on my my approach and my um, my direction really. So I thought I sort of thought of the Twig record is like the you know these are kind of like the weird cuts that um, would be, maybe be a little bit outside of the of the purview of the really heavy rock and roll band.
2: Yeah,
3: you know,
1: like a a, a weird solo record from a dude who's in a, a, a crazy rock and roll band. Um,
2: that hasn't released their album yet.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I just do things backwards, I guess. But, yeah, the record's going to be massive. It's just crazy boogie music for 21st century. And, uh, you know, I'm just so pleased that people are picking up on this energy because I am feeling how special the energy is when we, when we play live and just the reaction we're getting. It's, like, by far and away the best band I've ever been in. So...
2: The chemistry is kind of palpable. Like, this is a unique uh, confluence of people, I think, and, and I hope that people check it out. You mentioned that you... Sorry, when did you go to the studio? Just, like, last...
1: This past month, yeah. Past month, So we month, tracked like, okay. eight songs, and, you know, working on piecing it together now.
2: Okay, so no... There's no timeline on anything... Uh, no,
1: it's it's pretty... It's, casu- it's more casual in that sense, you know? Like, everyone is committed to all kinds of other pieces of music um, who's in that band, so... You know, there's a lot of like. I have this record coming out that I'm hoping to promote, and there's a new US Girls record that will be promoted. Well, and um, you know, Ice Cream have a record that will be coming out at some point. So I think when that stuff dies down a little bit, um, the record will come out, and it will definitely come out in uh, 2016.
2: Okay, and what what is I'm I'm familiar with US Girls. What is Ice Cream? I feel like I know Ice Cream, but I can't. Mm,
1: Ice Cream, they're great. Uh, It's Carlin who plays shredding lead guitar in Darling Shrug and Amanda who plays bass um, they're a duo as well as uh, being in Darling Shrug um, and it's they call it molecular pop I'm not exactly sure what that means
3: but mm-hmm. okay. it
1: employs a lot of synthesizer and beats and you know kind of robotic mechanical but slightly sensual weird music I don't know it's cool
2: nice that sounds cool alright now you mentioned those things are there any other Future collaborations, videos, releases that we can expect sometime soon. What's next for you? oh and tour dates? What's going on? I don't oh, yeah. actually know what's happening.
1: Yeah, I'm going on tour um mid September, um, for a month or so. I'll be hitting up all kinds of spots in Canada and the US. I'm hoping to also visit um Europe by the end of the year. Uh yeah, there'll be new videos and stuff like that. There's a I have a song I produced on the new US Girls Record that'll be released I think sometime in August, um, so yeah, stuff like that
2: okay nothing this is nothing forthcoming immediately. you've got this record to worry about, yeah, okay, that's, that's pretty much it. All right, that's cool. Well, once again, the new slim twig record is called "Thank you for sticking with Twig or depending on how you've downloaded it, it might be might just be thanks, but apparently. <laughs> It's called "Thank You for Sticking with Twig," and it's available via DFA Records. You can yes, learn and
1: cassette via Pleasance Records.
2: Oh, it's on cassette as well. Yeah, for nice. Sure. Pleasance Records. Okay, there you go. You can learn more about it at well DFA Slim twigcom and I well, just Google Pleasance Records. I don't know their. Yeah. I don't. I don't know their Earl. If
1: you're D- cassette head, just uh, yeah, Earl it up. <laughs> Pleasance Records.
2: Is there a song from this uh, record uh, that we can go to right now, Max?
1: Yes, "Fog of Sex."
2: fog of sex now why did that come to
1: mind there we go it's very hot up in here where uh, in the second floor of my parents place so maybe that's why
2: you just thought of okay that, that that makes sense have you had a lot of foggy sex at your parents house
1: you know I lived here for quite a time so it's quite possible
2: <laughs> all right this is fog of sex by slim twig uh, Max I, I, I appreciate you being back on the show I, I like talking to you you're a thoughtful dude and uh, I wish yeah. you the best of luck with everything going forward
1: all right. I'm sure I'll uh, run into you some point soon in the future.